Hello there, I'm Dennis and this is Shiv Valley, a show about Sheffield startups, the podcast dedicated to increasing the visibility and connectedness of Sheffield-based startups and founders. It's time for episode 2 of season 2. Episode 1 was only last week, it was with Tom Oates from Midas. I'm going to put a link in the show's notes, just so you can listen to it if you have missed it. Midas is a really interesting startup about data protection, security and the overall relationship between users and companies when it comes to their data. Now a couple of announcements before we move on to the resource of the week. I'm very excited to let you know that Startup Weekend is coming back to Sheffield. Now for those of you who are not aware, Startup Weekend is the biggest entrepreneurial event in the world. It's basically what it sounds like. You build a business in 54 hours from Friday to Sunday. Really, really exciting event, very practical. You can learn so much about building a business. And there's many businesses that, uh, that spun out of a startup weekend and became self-sufficient ventures. The most popular is probably Zapier, which is an integration to a billion dollar company. So it's an amazing event. I've organized two. The last one we organized was in November. We were actually going to organize another one in April 2020, but of course, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, we suspended that one. And uh, it wasn't a nice feeling because the, the event organization was going great. There was a lot of hype. People genuinely love this event. It's uh, it's filled with positive vibes and with positive attitude from everyone because everyone goes there to learn, to meet people, to engage in something really fun and something that's really memorable and something that everyone can take value from. So I'm working with Techstars for the organization of the Startup Weekend. Techstars is the official, is the official partner of local organizing teams. Uh, and I'm still waiting on confirmation to create the Eventbrite page where you'll be able to buy tickets. However, I'm starting a kind of a pre-event selling phase for super early bird tickets. It, it will happen through a sign-up sheet. So for now, you're not going to pay for your tickets. You're just going to sign up on a sheet, which is going to give you access to these super early bird tickets for the startup weekend. The price is going to be £25. The regular price will be £40. So getting a ticket at £25 is a really really good bargain of course that includes the whole event it includes seven meals yes seven meals friday dinner and then breakfast lunch after uh, breakfast lunch dinner for saturday and sunday and it's a really good food you know one of the biggest things about startup weekend is that my job as an organizer and the job of of my team would to create the best environment for you to create a business which means that you wouldn't be thinking about food you would get food and it would be delicious and nutritional you wouldn't think about any resources in terms of creating your business, paper, pens, pencils, markers, and so on and so forth. Only laptops you would need to sort out yourself. I remember uh, in April 2019, another event that I helped organize, there was a guy that brought his whole desktop computer, which was amazing, the commitment of that person, and he seemed it pretty well. So yeah, Startup Weekend is back in Sheffield. The date is the 3rd of December to the 5th of December. There is still some time. I wanted to do it in the first week of December just to make sure that students have not uh, have not left Sheffield yet for the Christmas for the Christmas holiday. Yeah, basically I want to maximize this experience for everyone. Of course, the priority is always going to be health and safety. The whole experience of the event will be completely sabotaged if there's even one person who doesn't feel well after it or in the middle of it. So that's going to be our main focus. But for now, I'm going to leave a link in the show's notes with a sign-up sheet for super early bird tickets. So if you want to get one, go and sign up there with your email and then when the tickets are on sale, I will contact you directly with your code. 
Next announcement is for an event that's coming way sooner than that, only next week, and that's the Startup Meetup. The Startup Meetup is Sheffield's biggest gathering of startup of people involved with startups, whether you're a founder, whether you're a startup enthusiast, whether you work in a startup support organization, whether you work for a startup, or you're a student involved with startups in any way, come next Tuesday, 21st of September at 6 p.m. at Sheffield Technology Parks. It's free. There's a link in the show's notes where you can get your free tickets. The agenda is now on the Eventbrite page. I'm going to post for the agenda today on Twitter as well. Basically, as the first event after the summer ones, but there still was a, was a gap in August. So this one is going to be a little lenient. And by lenient, I mean that there's going to be more time for people to just engage in conversations rather than trying to dictate the whole event. There's going to be 15 minutes for open podium, something that we did back in June, where people can just come up in front of everyone and talk about stuff that they want to talk about or ask questions, get feedback. And we're going to do something which I call hot desking. I'm not exactly sure for the correct word of it, where basically we're gonna put everyone uh, everyone sitting in front of each other. Then you will get five minutes to talk with, uh, with your partner for this round. And then after five minutes, everyone moves one seat to the left. This way everyone gets to talk with everyone. My idea is that when you're at the networking event, you wanna build something that can, that, that can bring value to you outside of that networking event, be it professionally or even personally. But when you're at a networking event, a lot of times you're just going to stick to one person and talk to this one person. Or when you're talking to other people, you're going to kind of feel constrained of time. You're going to feel like, okay, am I talking to this person too much? Should I go and talk to other people? This way, we are solving that problem for you. You get five minutes with everyone. And then, for example, you talk with someone for five minutes. You don't find any, uh, any mutual kind of point of discussion. But then you move on to the next person. And then suddenly you have so many things that you want to talk about for more than five minutes or you're going to catch up with them after the hot desking is over. So Startup Meetup, 21st of September, 6 p.m. Get your free tickets now with the link in the show's notes. And the last thing I want to mention before I move on to the resource of the week is a Google form that I'm going to start circulating around to people involved in Sheffield Startup Ecosystem. What's the purpose of that? Well, as I said in the last podcast, I want to organize more events in the coming months. But I want to make sure that I'm organizing events that people actually want to attend or, or to organize groups that people actually want to be part of. That's why I'm posting this Google form just to collect some feedback, just to see what are people feeling, what do they think is necessary to have in our ecosystem, what are the ideas. So there's going to be a link for this Google form in the show notes as well. However, I will be sending it to a lot of people individually too. But if you get if the form gets to you, please make sure to send it to more people relevant to this discussion let's gather more feedback let's see what more of us think is necessary to organize within our ecosystem without further ado let's move on to the resource of the week which this week is steve blank's website now let's track back a little what is a startup what is a startup in its definition there's of course a lot of different definitions there's people who just say that startup is a small business. I don't agree with that. The best definition for startup that I personally have ever heard is the following. A startup is a temporary organization formed to search for a scalable and repeatable model. This definition was created by Steve Blank, who I just mentioned that his website is the resource of the week. And Steve Blank can be considered one of the most important figures when it comes to the concept of start startups. Now, who's he? Steve Blank is a serial entrepreneur Spent 21 years building startups in Silicon Valley. He was in companies building video games to semiconductors. 
He then started teaching entrepreneurship at Stanford, US Berkeley, and other universities. And through his book, Four Steps to the Epiphany, he created concepts such as the customer development, which we discussed last week, and the modern entrepreneurship, which comes down to organizations looking to build new business models. So what Steve Blank kind of argues is that modern entrepreneurship is all about building these new business models of generating revenue and not just using old ones and kind of repeating them. It's about reinventing the wheel, in Steve Blank's opinion. Now this week the resource is his official website, which you probably need weeks to go through fully as it's so rich of content that can come valuable to you as an entrepreneur. Now first, it's his section about books. You can always trust Shiv Valley for a good book recommendation, but on Steve Blank's website, you're gonna find so many more which are classified as must-read. A lot of them are separated into different categories based on your startup journey or particular occupation. So let's say that you're particularly involved in marketing. There's so many books to help you with marketing your startup. It's a, it's a great resource. Then there's a page for slides and videos. Obviously, Steve being a teacher, he uploads all of his slides from Stanford on SlideShare through his website. So you can check those. You can also find all the podcasts that he's been on. There's a series of videos about customer discovery and many more subjects that you can watch. Now, there's also a separate page on his website which is focused on fundraising. Steve Blank takes fundraising very seriously and his, his page can help you understand whether you're ready for funding, whether you actually need funding, and if you do, how to get it. And last but not least, it's his own resources page. Now, I don't know if you've been to a startup weekend, but when you are participating at one, you get a list of resources to use to build your company. Think things like website builders, no-code platforms, logo creators, email marketing tools. Like, you know, for example, I remember we we got a free free domain name from GoDaddy, finishing with .co, so stuff like that. Well, Steve Banks' resources page is similar, but it's inherently richer. There's 12 options only for tools helping you to contact customer. And granted, these websites and resources will probably be more valuable for people living in the US and even more for entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley. But most of them will definitely come handy for founders anywhere. Again, it's really, really rich list. I'll be putting the, the link to Steve Blank's website in the show notes. Make sure to check it. This is a real treasure for entrepreneurs, I'd say. Now moving on, on to global news of the week. September is a very exciting month for startups and startup ecosystems because Startup Genome are releasing their annual Global Startup Ecosystem Report. For those of you unaware, Startup Genome is the leading research and advisory company to public and private bodies looking to grow their local startup ecosystem. The company engages in quantitative and qualitative research from which they derive insights that have proven invaluable to startup ecosystems all over the world. One of their most popular works is their annual Global Startup Ecosystem Report, which ranks startup ecosystems from around the world based on six categories. Performance, funding, connectedness, market reach, knowledge, and talent. And by the way, the concept of connectedness I basically learned through Startup Genome. This is why I started the podcast in the first place, because I wanted to, to kind of support Sheffield's startup ecosystem in some way. And I tried to analyze and see what what I could be doing and then connected this with something that uh, that came up front through the form of a podcast. So Startup Genome has had a role to play in the creation of Sheep Valley. It is the richest researched work on startups with data from more than 3 million ventures. And by the way, the results in 2020 were the following. Silicon Valley topped the ranking. 
not really surprising, while London was in second place tied with uh, New York City. And in the top 30, unfortunately, there were no other UK ecosystem. But the research shows a lot more than just the rankings. It goes in-depth explaining why certain ecosystems are better than others, while it also splits them into categories based on how mature they are. It also has a ranking of the top 100 emerging ecosystem and so much more. It is really rich. I think it's about the 2020 was about 300 pages. If you're interested in startup ecosystems, you won't find a better company to follow. I will put their link in the show's notes. Make sure you visit it next week when the report is out. I'm going to mention it again on the podcast. I'll put a link to it. But still, go to the page. There's a lot of things to read, a lot of things to get involved with. There is a separate page where you can just go to a certain ecosystem, like you can pick London. In in the UK, you can pick between uh, London, Manchester, Liverpool, Bristol, Glasgow, I think is there as well. Uh, and Dublin, Dublin for sure, because Dublin is one of the top 100 emerging ecosystem. So yes, if you're interested in startup ecosystem, this is the website to go. And on a local level, I want to talk about Captivate today. Captivate is a podcast hosting platform. And just to quickly put things into context, what is exactly a podcast hosting platform? So when you want to create a podcast, you need to choose your hosting provider. And through that host, you get an RSS feed that then you distribute into different podcast players or directories, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many, many, many more. So many more than I than I personally, for example, expected before I started my podcast. So some of the most popular ones are Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout are very aggressive marketing-wise. I remember when I started with Shivali, they're, they kept bombarding me with ads anywhere. So... They're very aggressive. They're quite, they're quite good. It was the first hosting platform that I used. After that, you have Podbean, you have Anchor, which is owned by Spotify, and you have again a lot more than that. And Captivate is amongst them. But what makes Captivate different, though? Captivate markets itself as a podcast hosting platform that empowers independent podcast hosting creators. It's a seven-figure business, and it's a significant part of the podcast business ecosystem. And it was built and is being run in Sheffield. Just as a comparison to what that means, let's take a let's take the blog as a as a as a as a medium in comparison to podcast. Because in the end of the day, what is a podcast? It's a form of medium for people's ideas to get to other people. And in the same time, the blog is again a medium that lets people kind of translate their ideas to other people. To have Captivate in our city, to have Captivate in Sheffield, is basically like having Blogger or Weebly blog hosting providers to be built in Sheffield. It's a big deal. Whole ecosystems are built around such successful businesses. Captivate has a team with a lot of knowledge and experience in the podcasting world. And only in the last three months, they have done the following improvements of their product. In June, they launched Captivate 2.0, a massively improved version of the platform, including improved user interface, redesigned analytics, promotion and distribution experience, and better mobile UX as well. And then in August, they double down on these changes by introducing the independent podcast network function, which allows anyone to create a no-code network of their podcasts through Captivate and to tie them together, either via custom domain name or a Captivate link. It's a game changer for hosts with more than one podcast or bigger podcast studios or agencies that might have avoided Captivate for now because of the companies focused on independent hosts. The other new feature was cross-promotion of feed drops which allow hosts seamlessly to publish episodes from one podcast to another one's feed with custom title overrides and optional expiration dates. With the idea behind that is to market a podcast to an audience that might be interested in it. Let's say you have two podcasts, one of them is doing really well, 
the other one is still catching up and then you post an episode from that one to the most popular one with an expiration date with a custom title like for example check my other podcast for this episode this is a function that now you can do inside of Captivate it's really easy and it's a massive massive help for creators all of this is really exciting and I can't wait to see more of Captivate and how Mark and his teams are gonna keep are gonna keep growing by the way Mark Asquith the founder of Captivate the founder of Rebel Base Media the founder of uh, the podcast Accelerator very inspiring figure when it comes to podcasts uh, I was lucky to have him on my podcast I'm going to put the link for my conversation with him in the show's notes as well and now time to move on to the episode for today it is a conversation with Joshua Fechny. Joshua is a Sheffield Hallam international business graduate who decided that building a startup is more fun and challenging than being a stockbroker, his original plan A. Now he's trying to disrupt the food delivery market in Sheffield by doing things the right way. And he wants to keep more money in the country while doing it. Enjoy and stay until the end to hear today's book recommendation. I'm here today with Joshua Fechny, the founder of Mewbase. Hi, Josh. How are you? Hi, I'm well. Thank you for having me on. How are you? Yes, very good as well. Uh, happy to have you on. Happy to hear more about Mewbase. But I want to start with a question about your professional life before Mewbase. What, what did you do? What did you study in university? And how did it connect with, with Mewbase, maybe? Yeah, so pretty varied, to be honest, from starting Mewbase. So I left school when I was 15 and was pretty adamant I didn't want to go to university. Um, and then had a couple of jobs in the UK and then did a few summers in Palmer in Magaluf. And it's like a rep over there. I did that for three years. And then after that, decided I wanted to do something different and worked in France for a while. That was interesting, just delivering to super yachts and yeah, just the biggest yachts in the world, really. So that was, that was good fun. And that was for about three years. And then in my second year of that, decided I wanted to go to university. So I was doing that in the summer. And then in the winter, came home and studied went to college and then got a place at Sheffield Hallam. So my second summer in France, I went to university the the winter after that, really, and then studied international business at Hallam. Worked abroad again in my first year, again in France, and then I studied over in Nice. And then from there, kind of towards the, the end of my second year, had the, the idea to set up a food delivery app, really. Right. And moving on to Mewbase, what exactly is Mewbase and what was the why? behind the startup that you that you founded yeah so it's a lot like the other food delivery companies on the first few really but it's more about the why yeah so when i was in my uh second year at sheffield hallam i could have either set up a business or done a placement year so i looked at setting up a business which was like a you know a gourmet pizza restaurant but just delivery only and then kind of hit some difficulties with it because I wanted to do it for the placement year but then I'd have had to have like a three-year lease on the building and then continue it for a period of time which I didn't really know if I wanted to do with me going back to university the year after but while I was looking into that then I saw the commissions and things like that that the other apps were charging to do kind of tied in with what I was studying at Hallam so I'd been studying in a, a macro context really about money leaving the economy and you know trade deficits and things like that and then I kind of just put that principle to what's actually happening with the food delivery market and the money and the commissions that are leaving the economy on a regular basis and figure there's probably a better way to do it than was currently happening. So yeah, I spent my last year at Hallam kind of 
developing the idea, working with the business school there and getting advice on it. And then I left Hallam in the May and we kind of soft launched in the September with the app. Luckily got some stuff sorted in terms of the tech and the hardware around Christmas time. And then we initially wanted to just start with restaurants that did their own delivery. Right. And then kind of very quickly realized that the market was shifting towards not employing the drivers and, you know, the, the busier restaurants, it's not really worth them employing delivery drivers. So that was the December and the January, we added on the delivery option. We were just testing that. And then the pandemic came in March. So from there, it was kind of everything just shifted straight away to delivery. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there wasn't a better time, to be fair, to start a food delivery business than right before the pandemic. As we know, everything moved online and so many more restaurants moved for delivery service. But I want to ask you, how exactly is Mewbase different than the other food delivery businesses? So you mentioned the concepts behind behind which you founded uh, Mewbase, but could you just uh, explain a little bit more about them? Yeah, so, I mean, I'd like to think that the long-term objective is to be an ethical food delivery company and have more of a conscience as to the output that we have in terms of the economy and the environment, really. That would be the big thing. So in the coming months, we're going to be launching so that you can plant a tree with every time you order um, from like an environmentally sustainable perspective. But then I'd really like to get my motivation is the money that leaves the economy, like I said, and really highlight that. I don't think people, it's kind of an invisible problem because you don't really see it to an extent with the convenience of opening an app and just ordering food and it turns up. And I think because it's obviously moved on from when you're still ordering from the same restaurants and takeaways you would prior to technology, but you've got that middleman in there now that's inflating the price of your order. And then obviously that's being absorbed into the cost. So even more money then leaves the, the local economy. So I'd really like to try and bring down the commission and work on the efficiency of that kind of aspect of the business model, really. Yeah. And you mentioned being an ethical company. Where does sustainability and specifically environmental sustainability play part in that? Obviously, I think an overlooked aspect of deliveries is the plastic that is used for packaging and the plastic bags. And so what do you think is a solution for this problem? And do you think it's a, it's a problem big enough that needs to be solved? Yeah. I mean, in terms of the packaging, yeah, obviously it's in many ways it's down to the restaurants, but you can try and steer that, but it also comes down to the cost of the packaging and things like that. Particularly again, when you're already fighting commissions of 40% plus VAT, you've not really got a margin in there to start thinking, well, shall we get the expensive packaging? because it's better for the environment. I mean, some places do have that margin, but if you don't, then again, you're, you're kind of fighting an uphill battle. So yeah, in many ways, if we can help lower the commissions, there's more room for the restaurant or the, the takeaway to then invest in more sustainable packaging. I think that's one aspect, but then there's other companies I've seen that are doing like circular economy things. I'm trying to think of the name. There's one in London that's uh, really cool and that they'll deliver to you and then they just quite the same stuff the next time we had a restaurant on board dishy a vegan restaurant from shell they were you know a general restaurant prior to the pandemic but now they'll deliver the food fortnightly or every week uh, and they just quit the tiffins the next time so the zero waste they've got an electric vehicle and everything that you use is then just given back and brought the next week which i think that's probably the best way to go and even with the a lot of the in the food sector with the meal kits and things like that, you know, Hello Fresh and Gusto, I think they solve the problem of food waste. But then the food turns up, and again, like you say, it's all in individual packets. You've got every single item is in a different packet, and you end up chucking about eight cardboard boxes in the recycling bin. Mm. So I don't really, I think it 
it, there is a lot of work on that front that can be done, yeah. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And it is a very saturated market, undeniably. There's there are the big players, Deliveroo, Uber Eats, Just Eat are probably in England the biggest ones. And I like the I like the direction that you've taken of being an ethical food delivery business. There is an app that I really like, Too Good to Go. I'm sure you I'm sure you know it. Yeah, yeah. Which is in the food space and it's it's quite big now for for an for a company trying to do something really cool towards food waste. But I'm sure that there's gonna there would be people who would use your service because it's an ethical food delivery. But the mass consumer is always going to be looking mainly towards the most convenient service. So what what would you say is your competitive advantage or your unique selling points, which would help you to maybe to, to maybe get in front of Uber Eats or Deliveroo? And do you want to get in 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 front of them, or do you want to attract a specific target market? It's a good question. I think obviously that there is a growing proportion of people that are more looking at the environmental side of things and the sustainability when they order. But like you say, it is ultimately convenience. In terms of the, the competitors, really, they don't own a lot of the business models. So obviously the, the delivery drivers are like a shared network. So a lot of the delivery drivers will work for us, just eat Uber, Deliveroo. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the service itself, I think it's quite replicatable to to go with the same service if you you kind of see what I mean. So they would, obviously we would have the same drivers that that kind of rules out that as a differentiation point. And then the restaurants, if we're cheaper, then that's going to be, you know, quite easy to get restaurants on at a lower price. And then it ultimately boils down to the message in the marketing, really. Um, I think that's something we could have done a bit better, but it's more being able to market or in a position to want to grow, really. I think that's the the biggest aspect of the, the learning curve so far, if you like. Yeah. And starting right before the pandemic, and now it's actually September now, so it's been two years. What are what are the big the biggest lessons that you've learned, and how did the pandemic affect Mulebase? The biggest lessons, I'd say, probably just to be a bit more thorough in thinking out the roadmap. But I think a lot of that we've learned along the way by just trying and testing and doing, which has been equally valuable. I think we could have done a lot better. We had some problems with the tech. Um, initially it was hardware and then it was software and then small but big things with like Google Maps, maybe moving about a couple of houses and things like that, which is obviously a nightmare when you're trying to get the food delivered. So we've just been building our own tech to try and step out and then differentiate from that side of things because initially we started with a software as a service solution. So yeah, I think it's easy to say now, but I would have maybe built my own software first and been a bit more gradual, but I think that's more come out of you know, we, we could have gone with another software provider and not had any issues, but yep. you are going to get to that point eventually in your, your startup journey where you're going to want to build your own tech and start adding your own features and everything like that, really. Right. And you said that you graduated international business. So there are most most students, to be fair, I'm not sure what the exact percentage is, but I would assume that most more people that go to, to uh, business schools end up working in corporate and in they don't really start their own businesses but you decided to 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 start your own startup and you also had a lot of experience abroad but you decided to stay here in Sheffield what were the reasons behind it why did why did you decide to become a founder rather than maybe pursue a career in corporate and why did you decide to stay in Sheffield rather than maybe go abroad my initial plan was to be a stockbroker really but then I thought it was quite boring in comparison to starting your own company and then 
obviously had the desire to solve this problem really but now i'm kind of on the the path of this didn't work i'd probably move on to another business really i think it's it's more just having the desire to build something that's bigger than yourself or yeah you know something that you can achievably see that was the thing when we deliver to yachts so i worked for sainsbury's for a while and you put in a day's worth of work and then you get there the next day and it's an empty truck again you don't really see any visual progress as to what you've been doing because every day starts off with an empty truck whereas with this you can obviously see over time you know users is growing revenues growing and it's it's good to be able to see what you're building is actually you know manifesting into something in the real world yeah and why did you choose sheffield was it just because you studied here and you had the contacts or was there another reason behind that a few reasons really one yeah i studied there was obviously the university that helped And then outside of London, Sheffield's actually the biggest market per capita takeaway ordering in the UK. Oh. So I think it's about £550 the average person spends on takeaway in Sheffield, um, which is partly, I think, down to a lot of the, the student population. So that's maybe one reason that, again, the students was another big draw because you've obviously got a condensed amount of people in a small area, really, yeah. tower block with a couple of thousand people rather than geographically dispersed which logistically is obviously preferential for delivery really yeah i'm actually surprised but i order shit tons of deliveries as well so <laughs> I'm, i'm not really surprised and sheffield by the way has a lot of food businesses and a lot of diverse food businesses as well there are restaurants from any cuisine you can you can think of so i'm not, so I'm not really surprised that this is the case and it sounds like a good city to, to set up your food business but we've spoken about challenges but let's talk about successes now What has been your biggest success up to date? And uh, what is next at the moment for Mulebase? The biggest success to date, I think, is probably just getting through the pandemic, really. It sounds like it should be great for food delivery, like you say. It was great for us in terms of bringing on new users and people actively. I mean, the app got in the top 100 downloads in the first couple of weeks on the, the Apple app of the pandemic, which was good. And then, yeah, just sustaining it through the pandemic, really. It's been a little bit frustrating, and I think we could have done significantly better but i suppose you're always going to have that but no i think build, building out the tech will be big particularly in terms of you know being able to make changes and we were kind of tied to what we had with the the other software so hopefully in the next 12 months or so we can start to really build out what we think it should look like and um working on a new solution for the drivers so they're paid more fairly or you know a, a fair wage for what they're doing which i think will be be really exciting but it's, it's kind of just balancing out all three sides of the marketplace really because obviously you've yep. got the restaurants the drivers and the customers and then on top of that it's how do you differentiate the message to each of yep. the different aspects at the same time it's it's quite easy when you've got all the different bits working in tandem and it's you know a similar level of customers to the amount of drivers you've got online the, the real troubles when you kind of get you know too many restaurants or not enough restaurants and then you've got too many drivers or not enough drivers or too many customers not enough customers so yeah it'd be i think it'd be a lot easier to step it out now when there's not huge amounts of you know changes in demand with people locked inside then back outside and everything like that so hopefully it calms down and you just start to go a bit more linear with the growth really And how can the listeners of Shift Valley help me about Mealbase at the moment? Is the is the app on Google Google Play Store or an App Store? Can we order food from there if we want to support the business? Yeah, it should be all online by the end of this week, so the next couple of days, yeah, with the new app on the App Store and the Play Store. And then there's a website, mealbase.co.uk as well. So we can we can order from the website as well? Yeah, 
yeah. And then we'll hopefully add in some stuff. So when you do order you and we obviously plant the trees and things like that, you can share that on social media. So, so you know, I've just ordered food and just planted a tree and things like that. And, you know, tell friends and everything like that, really. I think our biggest obstacle is that we don't charge the restaurants the staggering commissions to give people £10 to tell a friend or, you know, £5 yeah. off your next four orders. That's never what we're going to be about. It's more about, you know, a coherent message of helping drivers, restaurants and delivering good food to customers, really. Yeah. I mean, that's the advantage of either having Uber be behind you or having a lot of venture capital behind you that you can expand in this quite an organic way, let's be fair, where you're just pouring so much money into bonuses and different and different ways to make customers order more. And you give a lot of a lot of discounts as well. I deleted Uber Eats from my from my phone and I still receive notifications for discounts from them. So nothing can be done. Yeah, I think that's one of the big ones really. It's the the money that they make. And then like you said, selling ten pounds for five pounds quite easy to do, but Somewhere along the life cycle, you're going to have to get profitable, which nobody really has yet. I mean, Just no. Eat were initially Just Eat did well because they came in and they didn't have the, you know, the heavy aspect of getting the food to the customer. It was more, we'll get your local restaurant to receive your yeah. order on a back office and they'll deliver it. And Just Eat were really profitable when they did that. But then again, they take all the money that they make by doing that from your local, you know, Chinese or Indian, and then they spent it on. I think they bought uh, Food Hub, which were one of their competitors, for like $200 million, and then skipped the dishes. I think that was about $200 million. So essentially, a lot of the money they make off these smaller restaurants where they don't do the deliveries, they then either spend it acquiring customers abroad, and again, the money doesn't just leave the local economy, it leaves the national economy, or they end up yeah, buying people out within this country, but the money's only going to a couple of people that have started the business. I think it was... Obviously, they've got investors, but the, the one off Dragon's Den, they, they got about 200 million. And they were quite early, really. I think they didn't have about 10,000 restaurants. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's staggering, really, when you think about it. Yeah, definitely. I actually just interviewed for a Just Eat position, so I did a bit of research into the company. They also merged with Takeaway.com, which was, again, a massive delivery company in Netherlands. So they merged with Takeaway last year. They bought Food Hub. I think it was called Grub, Grubhub, which is in the U.S., and also, as you said, skip the dishes, which is in Canada. So they're making a massive noise everywhere around the world. India, I think they're actually the second biggest food delivery business and the first out, out of China. But you can't really compete with a company that has so much financial financial power behind it when it comes to giving discounts. You got to attract the customer from a different point of view. So I think that you've taken the right you, you've taken the right approach. It's just about attracting more and more people who believe in the same mission as you. Yeah, that's it. I think it comes down to the restaurants and the same as well. I agree with you with the, the discounts, but I think we could, it depends how, how we're doing it, you know, the price of labour as opposed to the price of food and inflation. I think if we can take the middleman out of the equation to an extent, you've obviously given the restaurant more leeway to play with. If we could reduce the commissions by 20%, you could have restaurants, you know, that all of a sudden they've got another 15, 20% to offer to the customer on certain yeah. days or things like that really so i think there's there's room but it's you know you still want to be profitable as a restaurant yeah it kind of reminds me i mean it's not the same but relatively similar to what robin hood did in america with stock brokerage so i'm not i'm, I'm not a fan of robin hood as a company at all but what it is was they basically removed the commission 
in the beginning, they weren't making a lot of money, but then a lot of people moved to using Robinhood. And what ended up happening is that all the bigger, all the bigger players followed what Robinhood were doing and removed the commission fee as well. So now that is the new kind of status quo in the stock brokerage. So I would assume that if you find a way to be sustainable and scalable with a smaller commission, that's going to change the whole model around deliveries. Because I don't see a re- reason why a restaurant uh, would be using a service for delivery and paying 50, 40% commission when they can use another one and pay 20 if you have the same customer base. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's the absolute crux of it, really. <laughs> Just the customer base. It's it's attracting the customers. And like I say, I think it is possible. It's yep. obviously a big ask against the money, but if you can start to bring the customers across and then the quality and the services is good, if, if not better. So with a new app, we've tried to more lines of communication with the restaurant rather than have it so you're dealing with the, either a computer or, you know, a lot of them have service centres abroad. We tried to build in like a chat so you could chat live to the restaurant. You can get answers from the restaurant there and then rather than, you know, having to go through a third party and things like that. So I think there, there is improvements and iterations, like you say. I think it's more a, a general trend everywhere, really, with other markets that people start to remove the commissions. I think in the last few days, there's South Korea talking about the, the commissions that app stores Play Store and the Apple Store, it's like 30% on there. And again, it's the same thing. It's a lot of money just leaving the local economy or a lot of people's hard work being exploited, really. I think of it if, you know, you can sell your house and somebody will find you a buyer, they'll list the house, they'll help you with a full process and they'll take a 2% commission. And you go into food delivery and somebody cooks somebody a meal, puts all the hard work in and they charge you a 48% commission and then you've got, 10% 10% service charge on the customer and £4 delivery. Yeah, it's, it's lunacy, really. But obviously, as technology becomes more, well, accessible and people's you know technological literacy, if you like, improves, I think there'll be more and more companies that come from that where the product is as important as the byproduct of the company and the mission and the impact. I think that'll be a, a big trend over the next couple of decades that could you know potentially solve a lot of these problems. Yep, hopefully decentralization is is the future, or at least uh, I, I wish it, it is the future. Uh, anyway, let's move to the five questions that I ask all my guests. The first one is about a book. What one book that you would recommend for founders or future founders? I don't really read a lot of books, if I'm honest. I'm more short-form YouTube and podcasts, yep. documentaries, really. One thing yep. I did do at the start of the year was I just got rid of everybody that I kind of know or that just was on my Twitter from meeting them type thing and focused it towards more people in tech, more CEOs, more entrepreneurs. Um, and kind of in, a, in you know, the phrase about the, the people that you spend the most time with, you become the most like. So I suppose that's quite a good suggestion if you, you want to be an entrepreneur, just yeah. follow more people like that. And when you go on Twitter, you've got more people that add value and therefore, you know, you, your Twitter feed's more valuable to you really. Yeah. yeah. Then what, what's one podcast that you would recommend? I like the My First Million podcast by the guy that started The Hustle, Sam Parr, just like an American business newsletter. Um, I followed that for a while, and they've set up like an entrepreneur group called Trend. That's really good. And they were recently acquired by HubSpot. So yeah, they have loads of stuff about starting a business, generating ideas, going to market, and quickly testing whether it works and advice. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good one to follow. Great. Second question is, why the name Mealbase? It was John that I set the company up with that came up with the name. I think we were kind of wanted either one 
short word or two short words, no more than eight characters. And then we kind of long-term have the vision that food won't be as dispersed as it is now. It'll be more a base of food and more efficient. I think that's the way a lot of, a lot of industries have gone. And I think that's probably the way that food will go as well. Okay. Uh, my third question is about Sheffield in particular. So you've been in the city now for a while. What's one place that you would recommend for people to visit? I think Steelyard Kellum in Kellum Island is really good with the containers that's been done up. We met with them initially when we were looking at like dark kitchens and things like that. So we saw that basically go from a you know disused piece of land to now like a, a family area where you've got everything from different bars, food to spas and you know, big screens just being put in. So yeah, maybe still yard kill them and then obviously there's cutlery works just across the road from there. I I haven't been to Callum Island in so long, by the way. I need to go. Maybe maybe I'll follow your recommendation. Our question is with a bit of a philosophical tone. If you could talk to your 20-year-old self for 15 minutes, what would you tell him? Um well, he was working in Magaluf, so probably a few things. No, when I was working, well, when I was working in France, it was by chance we was just on a on a train back. The first week I was there, I was on a train back from the Monaco Electric Grand. We were just chatting to these two old gentlemen on the on the train, just about where they're from the UK, and we said about where they're from, what we're doing, and things like that. And then one of them turned around as he was leaving, and he, he just said to us both, "The only thing stopping you doing anything is your own imagination." And I kind of sat on it for about a year, just thinking about it every now and again. It kind of haunted me a little bit, but I think it's it's absolutely true, really. If you you put your mind to something, particularly in industries where people have done it, if somebody's done it, then it's it's provable it can be done. So I think, yeah, the, the only thing stopping you doing anything is your own imagination is probably one of the best pieces of advice. And I didn't even know the guy, to be honest, yeah. And the last question I have for you is to tell me one big, hairy and audacious goal for Mewbase. Like I say, we're going to be introducing the feature to plant a tree with every order over the coming months, if not this month. So I think that would be quite a good trackable metric of how many trees we could plant. Obviously, it won't just be us. It'll be people ordering food and things like that. But as I say, as a byproduct to the company, it'd be cool to plant a million trees or something like that. Um, but then obviously, if you get to a million, you probably say, why not 10 or so? Yeah, I think it's just about compounding growth and doing good and Hopefully, a lot of our customer base is attracted by, obviously, the food, but then the, the byproduct of ordering the food and that we can put money back in the economy and help the environment at the same time. And anything else we kind of come along along the way that we think would add value in the same aspects, really. Yep. Josh, I can promise you the next time I crave something, I'm going to check new base first. Thanks a lot for your time. Brilliant. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Joshua and now it's time to move on for today's book recommendation. It's called Play Bigger. Now this is another book that I have posted about on Twitter before, but it's another book that I just want to make sure that you as my listeners hear about and really consider reading. It was written by Frenston Panthers, Al Ramadan, Dave Peterson, Christopher Lockhead and Kevin Maney, four guys who built their careers in Silicon Valley and startups and then decided to form an advisory firm helping business, businesses design their category. What is category design? Category design is a transformational approach because it teaches businesses from very different angle than what has been established as the norm. Usually when you're starting a business, what do you do? You find a problem, 
that you think that you think you can solve and then research the size of the market how mature it is who are your main competitors and how can you enter it it's a product first approach now with category design it's all about category first approach it teaches you that one of your most important discoveries will be your new tailor-made for you category where you can position your product in its center and from there build the whole infrastructure of it therefore solidifying yourself as its king the book gives example with amazon ikea salesforce and many other as companies that have done this and it's easy to understand from the examples provided why category design is indeed transformative it's a great book i highly recommended it there will be link to the book's goodreads page in the show's notes and this will be the end of this week's podcast thank you very much for your time to make sure to go through the show's notes in case you want to subscribe to the show's twitter account if you want to support the show via donation or if you want to buy tickets for either the startup meetup next tuesday or to reserve your spot with a super early bird ticket for the startup weekend in December. Of course, also go to the show's notes if you want to check any of the things that I spoke about in the podcast, whether it's the book, Play Bigger, whether it's the resource Steve Blank's website, or anything else. Thank you very much for your time, and have a good week.